Matthew 27. Gospel according to Matthew chapter 27 is where we turn to in our Bibles this evening. From that lengthy chapter, we pick up our reading at verse 11, reading through to the 32nd verse. The text is verse 32, the final verse of this reading. This is God's inspired word. Matthew 27, verse 11. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at least, now at that least, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had been, they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of, whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on, upon him and took the reed, and smoked him on the head. 
And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And now for the text for the sermon this evening. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. Thus far we read from God's holy, inspired word. May he bless the reading of his word. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Beloved congregation, today is Palm Sunday, as you know, and those words, I'm sure you also know, were the wonderful greetings that Jesus had received from the crowds as he made his way into Jerusalem. On Palm Sunday, the crowds had received Jesus as king, their king, their king and Messiah, and as he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. For you see, they not only gave him welcome words fitting for a king, they also had cut down branches from the trees and strewn them on the ground. Children, are you listening? That's why this is called Palm Sunday, Passion Week, the first day of the Passion Week, Palm Sunday. They cut down branches from the trees, they strewn them on the ground, they laid them all on the ground, laying, as it were, a kind of a red carpet to welcome this king, this royal figure, this Messiah, Jesus. And they were right. They were right in recognizing that Jesus is king. But they were only half right. For by his riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and not on some royal, regal animal such as a beautiful white horse on a donkey, Jesus showed himself to be a king, but the king of another kind of kingdom altogether. The heavenly, spiritual, righteous kingdom of God. A kingdom which manifests herself very frequently in lowly and humble terms here on earth. One which these crowds would reject and would have nothing of. And that would be pretty obvious by Friday of that week. For by then, he who was so received so greeted and so welcome as king on Sunday into Jerusalem would be banished from the city, would be sent away 
and sent away as a condemned, a vile, condemned criminal, worthy of the worst form of death, death by crucifixion. On that Friday, the Holy Spirit records several important and notable events, one of them being this in Matthew 27, verse 32, that of Simon of Cyrene bearing the cross after Jesus. Let's take that for our theme this evening. Simon of Cyrene bearing the cross after Jesus. Notice with me in the first place a difficult task, in the second place a beautiful picture, and in the third and final place a blessed calling. The task of Simon of Cyrene bearing the cross after Jesus was a difficult task. Now, in order to appreciate that, let's remember the occasion by which Simon was led to perform this task. And that occasion, of course, was none other than the suffering of our Saviour in the past 12 hours. A suffering which began, very sadly, began from his very own disciples. For Jesus had been arrested because he had been betrayed. Betrayed by one of his own and betrayed with a kiss. Betrayed by Judas Iscariot. And not not only had he been betrayed, Jesus had also been by this time forsaken by every one of his disciples. He is left alone all by himself to suffer. And perhaps most painfully of all, Jesus was denied three times by Peter. Betrayed, forsaken, denied. Jesus suffered from his very own. And that led to his suffering from the authorities, both from the church as well as the state. From the church before the scribes, the elders, the priests, and the high priest Caiaphas, Jesus endured a sham of a trial. False witnesses were brought in and accused him of blasphemy and that led to his sentencing unto death. And before the government, Jesus was brought to Pilate, the Roman governor, and a record of the unjust and unrighteous proceedings there was what we read in context towards the end of the passage that we read there, Matthew 27, verses 27 through 30. Let me read those verses again. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him, put on him a scarlet robe, And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit upon him, took the reed, and smote him on the head. 
all of that after they scourged him in verse 26. And then, there's verse 31, right before the text. After they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. Without further delay that morning, Jesus would be led away to be crucified. From this little detail, we gather that the Roman government must have had several crosses made ready for such occasions when their use would be needed and needed fairly immediately. This all happened, of course, in the providence of God. In the providence of God, Jesus' death would be by way of crucifixion. This was Rome's form of punishment for criminals of the worst sort. It was their form of capital punishment. And also in the providence of God, they had designated Golgotha, a place outside of Jerusalem, on the outskirts of Jerusalem, beyond the city and her walls, as the place of crucifixion and death all in the providence of God, because that is God's plan for Jesus to accomplish salvation for all his people, for you and I, poor, miserable, unworthy sinners, to die for us, to suffer and die for us in the way of rejection, in the way of being a total outcast of the church and the city of Jerusalem, Jesus would be rejected. He who was welcomed on Palm Sunday as king would be utterly rejected and condemned and banished to the outskirts of Jerusalem to suffer death by crucifixion. Jesus suffered without the gate, Hebrews 13, verse 12. That and all things on that Good Friday would come to pass under the sovereign purpose and providence of God, including this difficult task of Simon of Cyrene bearing the cross after Jesus all the way to Calvary. Now that was made necessary by the fact of all that had taken place in the past 12 hours to Jesus. For our Saviour simply did not have the strength to bear his cross to Golgotha. That, you understand, was the norm and practice for these vile, condemned criminals, condemned to crucifixion at Golgotha. They themselves were to bear their own crosses from within the city and going out of the city through the main streets of the city all the way to Golgotha, bearing their own cross. Of course, they would die on that cross. They were to bear that cross all the way. But Jesus wasn't able to in the assessment of these soldiers. 
And so what did the soldiers do? The text tells us. They found a man of Cyrene, Simon, by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. In the providence of God, Simon was right there when that need arose. And in the providence of God, these soldiers picked him among all the onlookers, among all the observers, observing the proceedings of what happened to Jesus. They picked him. You, you come forward. And you, that's right, you, you come forward and you bear his cross after him. The cross of Jesus. And that was a difficult task. But in what way precisely? Why exactly was this a difficult task for Simon of Cyrene to bear the cross after Jesus? Could it have been because it was physically draining and demanding for Simon? We think not. Now, we do not minimize the fact that physical exertion was needed on the part of Simon. But this is not the difficult, difficulty of the task. To be sure, though, it was physically demanding for Jesus. That was the soldiers' clear assessment when they saw Jesus struggling with bearing his cross right at the start of his journey to Golgotha. In their assessment, Jesus was struggling with both the size and weight of the cross. The size, is, it wasn't gigantic. We all know how big the cross is, size of about a man, slightly bigger wasn't gigantic, but not negligible. So also the weight, we could say, of the, the same thing, made of wood, not extremely heavy, but still a weight. In their assessment too, Jesus would struggle with the journey of about a mile or so from where Jesus would begin bearing his cross close to the temple within the city of Jerusalem itself, and then going all the way out to Golgotha, that's a distance of, a, of, of about, about a mile. It's not a super great distance. We typically cover the distance in 20 minutes if we were to walk regularly. Not so much, though, with the distance, but rather with the duration. They saw that, that Jesus would struggle with the duration of the journey. Why? Because, you see, this would be a painfully slow, very slow procession. It would be lengthy in terms of time going through, snaking through the main parts of the city, all calculated to bring shame 
upon the one being led away to be crucified. And so you see, it wasn't the physical aspect of cross-bearing, but rather the shame of it. The shame of it. The shame of cross-bearing that was the real reason why it was so difficult for Simon of Cyrene to bear the cross after Jesus. Just put yourself in that situation. Just think of what Simon experienced that Friday together with Jesus in that procession as he was shamefully paraded before the crowds of people who came for the Passover feast. Jerusalem was chucked full at that time during the feast of the Passover. Also, as they passed through the main buildings, the, the main marketplaces, the main dwelling places, the main streets of Jerusalem, as thousands of pairs of eyes of people who, who lined up to behold him beheld that vile, condemned criminal and Who's that one following after him? This man bearing his cross. Thousands of eyes glaring, looking on of people who chose, mind you, chose Barabbas to be freed rather than Jesus. What a shame that was for Simon. Beloved congregation, let's not think that shame and its pain and humiliation is a small thing. It is not. It is not a small thing. It is no small part of the suffering of our Savior as he was led away to Calvary and eventually hung on the cross as a public spectacle for six hours for everyone to behold. Yes, indeed, shame is a powerful thing. To help us appreciate that, the power of shame, consider how effective a tool shame was and still is today to keep the streets of my homeland squeaky clean. Singapore in the 1970s had a population of two and a half million people over about 120 square miles of land. She had become independent in 1965 and had teething problems after independence and one of them was trying to keep the streets clean. And so the government introduced a $500 fine for littering. If you're caught littering on the streets, you'll be fined $500. No questions asked, pay up. And for a good long while, that penalty did well. It deterred people from littering on the streets. But as you may well know, Singapore became more affluent and wealthy over the next 20, 30 years, so that by the time it came to the late 90s, 
with five million people now, and now there's five and a half, five million people living over 150 now square miles. They keep reclaiming land, short of land. Five and a half million people living over that tiny space. Cleanliness became an issue all over again. And so what did the government do? They, they upped the fine. They upped it more and more till it hit $5,000, but it still didn't solve the problem. Can you imagine that? $5,000 fine if you're caught littering and still littering is going on? And then came this additional new penalty. On top of the $5,000 fine, of course, a corrective work order, a CWO. What's that all about? Well, people who were caught littering now would have to serve a sentence of corrective work order, which entailed them to show up at a reported time and place in public in broad daylight at a very busy area, show up with other offenders, and show up under police supervision, show up in broad daylight wearing a vest, bright neon yellow color vest with bold black lettering, CWO on the front and CWO on the back. And go around that whole area under public, public's eye picking up litter, cleaning things up for a good half hour, one hour. Guess what? With that additional penalty, the issue of public littering vanished into thin air. That's how powerful shame is. And Simon partook just some of the awful, awful shame that Jesus suffered when he bore his cross after him. Step by painful step. During that agonizingly long, snaky procession through the main streets of Jerusalem, before a gazing crowd of onlookers looking at that, that one Jesus, that condemned criminal known by all who had been so promising, started out the week, so promising as their Messiah and their King. That one, and behind him, this, this loser, this vile, condemned criminal picked for death, headed to dreaded, that dreaded destination, Golgotha. Behind him is this, this man, bearing the cross, of that condemned criminal. Simon 
of Cyrene. We can't even begin to imagine the shame and humiliation that Simon experienced that day, can we? This was indeed a difficult task for him. But also, in that task, a beautiful picture was being painted by the Holy Spirit in his divine portrait of all that took place on that Good Friday. What picture? The beautiful picture of a disciple bearing his cross after Jesus. Something which all his disciples, you and I, children, you are also disciples of Jesus, something which all disciples are called to do by Jesus, must do and must do willingly. Don't take it from me. Take it from Jesus himself in Matthew 16, verse 24. If any man will come after me, says Jesus, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Children, are you listening? Follow me, says Jesus. Follow me in every way, and that means two main things. Number one, if you will come after me as my disciple and follow me, you must live your life in wholehearted obedience to me. Unswerving, wholehearted obedience to me, to my words, my teachings, my ways. In other words, you must be prepared to pay the price of obeying me over against what the world would have you do. That's one, obedience. Number two, if you will come after me as my disciple, if you will follow me, then you must also submit that too. Submit wholeheartedly to the portion in life that my heavenly Father and your heavenly Father has for you. Your earthly ways, your priorities in life, even the trials, afflictions that you are called to bear. So are you following Jesus? Children, are you ready to follow him? And are we all ready to follow him all the way to the end? Good questions to ask at all times, but especially in view of the Lord's Supper on Good Friday. Dear congregation, this calling applies to us, to all we who bear the name of Jesus to all who profess to be his disciples, to all who love him? Are we bearing our crosses faithfully? Not perfectly. That's not the question. But faithfully. 
Are you and am I bearing our crosses faithfully? Or are we rejecting those crosses? Are we denying that we have a cross, a burden to bear? Are we being bitter about cross-bearing? Or are we patient, patiently bearing and enduring the cross as we are called to lovingly by our Saviour, even ready to bear the cross of shame and humiliation? It's important that we do. It's important that we do because cross-bearing is not only a necessary obligation that Jesus places upon us, but it's also a necessary fruit, necessary evidence, necessary expression of true faith, hope, and love. Yes, indeed, of true thanksgiving to the one who saved you and saved me from our sins. A fruit, evidence, and expression of true thanksgiving, of what Jesus did for us at Calvary, something which we could never do in a thousand lives, redeem our lives from sin and destruction. That's what cross-bearing is all about. A necessary fruit and expression of true thanksgiving to Jesus. And that is what this beautiful picture of Simon bearing the cross of Jesus on Good Friday is all about. A beautiful picture, what a beautiful picture was painted by the Holy Spirit himself of Simon of Cyrene. Yes, I know, this was only a picture. Yes, I know, Simon was but a sinner, a sinner himself in need of Jesus. Yes, I know, it was the cross of Jesus, not his own cross, that Simon was bearing. And most of all, yes, I know, the soldiers probably forced it upon him. As the word compelled, they compelled him to take the cross of Jesus. The word compelled in the text suggests they forced it on him to bear the cross of Jesus. They did. But stand back now and look at the whole scene. What a beautiful picture of true discipleship that is before us, painted by the Holy Spirit as Simon of Cyrene, step by step, following after Jesus with the cross, going all the way to Calvary. A touching portrait Moving portrait, a lovely, a beautiful portrait 
painted by the master artist and expert teacher himself, our God and our Lord, to teach us about the heart of true discipleship. And yes, a portrait of possible, even very probable, a very probable spiritual reality of Simon's own salvation and of Simon's own cross-bearing as a disciple, a real disciple under Jesus. There is, in other words here, biblical evidence that Simon, later on, Simon became a Christian. In Mark chapter 15, verse 21, Mark identifies one of the sons of Simon as Rufus. So, because the gospel according to Mark was written in Rome, as the early church fathers indicate, Rufus was a believer in the church of Rome. And indeed, there was a Rufus in Rome, as Romans 16, verse 13 suggests. Salute, that verse reads, Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine, writes Paul to the saints in Rome. All of this then would indicate that Simon had become a Christian and that he and his family had become members of the church in Rome. With Simon himself having departed unto glory by the time the book of Romans was penned, because though his mother is mentioned, his father, Rufus's father, is not. And now added to that, let's not forget the religious background that Simon had already in the time of the text. He had travelled all the way from Cyrene, and Cyrene was in northern Africa, all the way from Cyrene to Jerusalem. And at a time when the Passover feast was celebrated, therefore likely to celebrate the Passover feast. And one last detail, don't overlook the fact that Simon is a Jewish name. He was a religious Israelite. Now, if all of that is true, he who was used of God to paint this beautiful picture of true discipleship bore an even more difficult cross in his life. Not just for an hour or so, but lifelong. The cross of suffering and persecution from the world and his own countrymen. Let's not forget what the Roman Empire did to many, many Christians. A difficult task, a beautiful picture of true discipleship, but also, lastly, a blessed calling. Now, perhaps you ask the question, especially you children and youth, ask the question, 
Is cross-bearing really a blessed calling? Really? After, after all you've said, Reverend Lee, you've made the point that this is a difficult task and it's just a picture just for that hour or so that it was difficult for Simon of Cyrene to bear the cross of Jesus. It was a difficult task. If that was the case, how much more difficult it is the reality of this is was for Simon. We can't imagine the difficult reality of Simon's own spiritual and real cross-bearing in an environment that was so harsh and hostile to Christians. That's the shame of cross-bearing. And there are also the many, many obligations and many, many other pains and burdens that cross-bearing places upon us. True discipleship bundled together with cross-bearing comes at a cost. But let's not forget that cross-bearing is God's good, wise, and ordained way for every one of His children in order to bring blessings into their hearts and lives. This is, make no mistake about it, a most blessed calling. Else, you see, would God who did not hold back his dear son, would not, would God have given to us this calling? Truth be told, in his inscrutable wisdom, in the way of bearing our crosses after Jesus, you and I are being sanctified by him in a most blessed way. In bearing our crosses after Him, we identify with Him. We so identify with Him in His sufferings, we draw closer to Him than we would ever do without them. It makes our religion real. And it makes our relationship with Jesus real. In bearing our crosses after Him, we receive blessed peace and comfort from Him, who is our merciful and sympathetic High Priest, who is touched by even the very feeling, just that feeling of our infirmities, and who is also our able, able helper of our salvation. And yes, in bearing our crosses after Him, we experience joy. Joy in the midst of suffering. Joy unspeakable for He who saves us gives us the grace we need each step of the way to bear our crosses cheerfully as He Himself did for us unto the very end. I close tonight with Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, 
Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, joy, joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. God grant us all grace to run our races and to bear our crosses as our dear Saviour did. Amen. Bless thy word, O Lord, for we need that blessing. Along our pilgrimage, we encounter different, varying, and sometimes rather surprising and severe afflictions. We know, Lord, that these things are no accident. These things are designed and purposed by Thee as our little crosses that Thou would have us bear, that we through bearing these crosses faithfully might more and more be made to look like Jesus, our Saviour and Lord Himself. Grant us grace to believe that, to embrace that. Grant us grace and strength to bear our crosses cheerfully after Jesus, our faithful Saviour and Lord. In His name we pray. Amen.